So please open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 5, and this will be week number 9, which means, of course, this is broadcast number 9. And afterward Moses and Aaron went in, and told Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast unto me in the wilderness. And yet that's not what the Lord told them to say. Chapter 4, chapter 4, look at verse 22, if you will, please. And thou shalt say unto Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord, Israel is my son, even my firstborn. And I say unto thee, Let my son go, that he may serve me. And if thou refuse to let him go, behold, I will slay thy son, even thy firstborn. So Moses, strictly speaking, has changed the commandments of the Lord, has changed the message of the Lord, has changed the word of God. And of course, you know very clearly from Revelation 22 that if you add to the word of God or if you take from the word of God, almighty God will take your name out of the book of life. And later on in the Torah, Moses would say to the Lord, just blot my name out of your book, O Lord. I can't handle this burden any longer concerning the rebellions, the mutinies, the problems with Israel. And the Lord would say to Moses, I will decide who's name is going to be blotted out of my book but here 5-1 Moses and Aaron they've now teamed up two biological brothers they've gone into Pharaoh the most powerful man in the world and they made the case thus saith the Lord God of Israel that's one of the most common terms in scripture thus saith the Lord let my people go that they may hold a feast unto me in the wilderness so for today we would say this that we worship the Lord First and foremost, in spirit and in truth. Secondly, we are told to separate from the world. We are told that friendship with the world is enmity with the Lord. And yet this past week, I got a clip of the Billy Graham funeral. And I saw a lot of VIPs at his funeral. I saw the most powerful priest in America. I saw the current president, the current vice president. I saw members of the Greek and Russian Orthodox Church. I saw Methodist people. I saw a lot of characters, and pre his burial, I saw two former American presidents and many others lining up to pay the man respect, and yet when the Lord Jesus Christ died, there were no VIPs at the foot of the cross. When Paul was about to be executed, he said, they've all forsaken me apart from Dr. Luke. So what is going on? Why are people such as Graham, and not just him, others of course, able to get along so nicely with the world well because they are the world they've sold out of course look at verse 2 and pharaoh said who is the lord that i should obey his voice to let israel go i know not the lord neither will i let israel go well of course he knew exactly who the lord was back in the 1980s mrs thatcher was interviewed and she said this she said that nothing could happen in whitehall that she wasn't aware of And I think if she made that statement, and she certainly did, and if she meant what she said, and I believe she certainly did, then you could expect every Prime Minister, pre and post Mrs Thatcher, to be in the know. If you are the American President, you get a daily briefing from the CIA and the uh, the FBI, and if if you are in charge of Russia or China, you can be sure that they are also receiving daily briefings from their security chiefs, like every day. When Bush Jr. was in power, he said to the head of the FBI, I want a briefing every morning. And his FBI chief got up at four o'clock every morning, seven days a week, spent three hours reading his notes, preparing the uh, presidential briefing every single morning for eight years. That guy wanted to know what was going on. And that would go back to what Thatcher said. And you can be sure that the current uh, British prime minister is very much in the loop. Who is the Lord? Well, of course, he knew exactly who the Lord was. The children of Israel had been in Egypt for over 400 years. Pharaoh was somewhat ecumenical, like the late Billy Graham. He knew exactly who the Lord was. What he's really saying is, who is the Lord to me? He's speaking like a skeptic. He's speaking like an agnostic. He's speaking like an atheist. Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? If you love me, keep my commandments. I know not the Lord. Many will say to me that day, Lord, Lord, have you not prophesied in thy name? And I will say to them, I never knew you. That's the term here. 
I never knew you like you never mind to begin with. There's no intimacy between the saviour and the sinner. And there's no relationship between the sinner and the saviour. I know not the Lord. Well, of course not. He wasn't a worshipper of Jehovah. He worshipped himself. He worshipped many other gods. Like those at the Graham funeral this past week. Catholics, Protestants, Orthodox, Atheists, Agnostics. They all turned up, the good and the great, for this wonderful send-off. And that's what's going to happen now as we get nearer to the return of the Lord. Politicians on the left and the right are coming closer together and churches are also coming closer together. They have thrown out the truth for so-called unity. I know not the Lord, neither will I let Israel go. So he had free will. Pharaoh did have free will. You have free will before you are saved and you have free will after you are saved. The idea that somehow you are like a robot and the Lord just flicks a switch and you come alive. And once you come alive, you do what you are meant to do all of the time is foreign to scripture. So here you've got Moses and Aaron working very closely like Jesus and John the Baptist, if you will. And they have gone into Pharaoh's court. And like I say, he was the most powerful man in the ancient world across between probably Al Capone Joseph Stalin, and maybe FDR. Very powerful man, a very superstitious man. It does intrigue me sometimes when I go through the television channels, or I flick through the papers, or I surf the nets, and I come across uh, these agnostics, these liberals. And for most, for the most part, they all seem to be uh, what they call free thinkers, not particularly superstitious. And yet for thousands of years, most people have been superstitious. If you go to college... Or university in the UK, you are trained out of being a theist of any kind. It's not cool to be a theist. I remember some years ago, Gordon Brown was uh, doing a link up to an American TV network. I forget what it was uh, concerning. And right at the end of the live link up to the American uh, network, he said, God bless America. And people were sniggering back in the UK. They thought it was very funny that a British Prime Minister would even mention God. But you see, if you are an American politician and you don't mention God, they will hound you out of office. You have to play the game, you see. And many American presidents pretend to be religious, and some of them are, of course, but most aren't. In fact, I think it was Billy Graham who said uh, when he met uh, John F. Kennedy, only once did uh, JFK mention God. Most of uh, Kennedy's uh, interests would be playing golf. And, of course, chasing women and enjoying a good drink. And you ask yourself this, how could someone like Graham get so close to people such as JFK, a Catholic, of course, and Nixon, a former Quaker, or Truman, Eisenhower. In fact, Truman was a top Freemason. What's going on? Well, again, the world loved their own. Look at verse 3. And they said, the God of the Hebrews hath met with us. Let us go, we pray thee, three days' journey into the desert. And sacrifice unto the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. Keep your hand there and go to chapter 19. I want to slightly deviate this morning, if I may, and look at the Old Testament, the covenants, which in some ways mirrors the New Testament covenant. 19.5. Now therefore, if you will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenants, then you shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine, and ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and an holy nation. These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. So the Jews voluntarily will enter into a covenant like a contract with Jehovah. And if you study the Old Testament, if you study the Old Covenant, this will make your blood run cold. If you study the New Testament, if you study the New Covenant, you will realize very quickly that there's far more to the Word of God than simply just believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. Go to Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy uh, chapter 5, Deuteronomy chapter 5, and look at verse 1, please. And Moses called all Israel and said unto them, Hear, O Israel, the statutes and judgments which I speak in your ears today, that ye may learn them and keep and do them. The Lord our God made a covenant with us in Horeb. The Lord made not this covenant with our fathers, but with us, even us, who are all of us here alive this day. 
So the Mosaic Covenant, the law, if you will, is between Jehovah and the Jews. It's between Jehovah and Moses, not the church. There are a lot of people today, a lot of Messianic Jewish people today that believe that the church is somehow mystery Israel. And on top of that, they believe that the church is expected to keep the Old Testament. Well, let's keep reading on. Let's see how easy that will be. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 8. Deuteronomy uh, chapter 8. Look at verse 19, please. And it shall be, if thou do at all forget the Lord thy God, and walk after other gods, and serve them, and worship them, I testify against you this day that ye shall surely perish. As the nations which the Lord destroyeth before your face, so shall ye perish, because ye would not be obedient unto the voice of the Lord your God. I love it when I hear people, and just being somewhat facetious now, speaking about keeping the law, never sinning, very much a doer of the word of God, and not just a hearer. And of course, you were told to be a doer of the word, not just a hearer of the word. Go to chapter 11, and they say that they keep the law. They say they are obedient to the Lord, and they quote that scripture that I gave you a few moments ago, that if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And yet, if you cross-reference that to First John, the commandments, number one, believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and number two, love your brother, or go back to the main theme of the Gospels from the standpoint of mankind, love thy neighbor as thyself. But first and foremost, you are to love the Lord your God with all your mind, heart, soul, and strength. And good luck. Good luck trying to do that. Chapter 11, chapter 11. Look at verse 26, please. Behold, I set before you this day a blessing and a curse. A blessing, if ye obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you this day, and a curse, if ye will not obey the commandments of the Lord your God. But turn aside out of the way which I command you this day to go after other gods which ye have not known, like the worship of Mary, like the worship of the popes like the worship of Holy Mother Church. I saw one uh, video this week that was sent to me concerning Billy Graham going to a Catholic service in North Carolina back in the late 1960s. And somebody wrote to this Catholic church in the late 1960s trying to seek clarification as to whether or not Billy Graham went to such a place. And when Graham was asked if he went to such a place, he said no. He lied through his teeth and the cardinal in North Carolina, I think it was, said, yes, Billy Graham came this week. We had a wonderful time. He's very Catholic. We like his message. It was very much in harmony with what we like to hold to. And I thought, there you are, you see. He's gone after other gods. He has compromised. Look at 31. For ye shall pass over Jordan to go in to possess the land which the Lord your God giveth you. And ye shall possess it and dwell therein. And ye shall observe to do all the statutes and judgments which I set before you this day. Works, works, works. And you try and keep these works. You try and honor these statutes and judgments. You try and live a particular way. It's like I said over the years. Carnality is a problem that we all deal with. Here's an example. Mum, dad, two kids. They jump in the car. They drive to their local church. It's Sunday morning, like today. And on the way to the church, they've got the radio on. And it could be Madonna, it could be Lady Gaga, it could be Katy Perry, something very current, and the kids in the back are listening to the music. Mum and Dad are in the front, talking, slightly bickering about what is going to be uh, cooked for the evening meal. They arrive at the church, they go into the church, the man is very well dressed, he could be a Baptist, he's wearing a tie. The woman's wearing a very nice flowery dress, a nice big hat, very orthodox, very fundamental. They go into the church service, the pastor gets up in the pulpit the service begins everybody is praying like they are supposed to do standing up sitting down kneeling down going through the rituals and the service it's all going very well and the service begins or the sermon begins in earnest and the kids are playing with their phones the father gives one of the kids a nudge she says switch off the phone the daughter is snapchapping or on facebook or twitter he says give me that phone uh, both the phones are switched off and for 25 minutes they are listening to the sermon or to some extent the man's mind is on golf. The woman's mind is on shopping the following morning. But they're going through the rituals, you see. They're religious. They're upright. They tithe, of course. They are very religious. And the pastor is giving a 25-minute sermon. 
The man is half asleep, the woman is listening, but her mind is elsewhere. The kids are nudging each other, messing around with each other, looking over their shoulders to see what their friends are doing. And by the end of the service, the pastor gets up, gives the final benediction. They turn around, walk out, get back in the car, put the radio back on, and again, the music returns. And they go back home, and they get back home, and the father puts the television on, starts watching golf, or tennis, or cricket, whatever it will be. The woman gets on the phone, starts speaking to her friends. The kids are surfing the net, watching videos. And it's like nothing has changed. And you say those people aren't saved. They might be. They might be saved. They're carnal, you see. You can be very uh, sanctified. You can be focused for 25, 30 minutes. You can actually enjoy the sermon. You can listen to the sermon. You can make notes. And then once the sermon has ended, once the church has been dismissed, you're back into the world. And you're you're online. You are doing what everyone else does. And you're back to work the next morning, back to school the next morning. All the innuendos, the dirty jokes, messing around, gossiping until next Sunday when you put your best on again. And you go through the whole rigmarole all again. 12.1. These are the statutes and judgments which ye shall observe to do in the land, which the Lord God of thy fathers giveth thee to possess it all the days that ye live upon the earth. You better do something. Once you get saved, if you are saved, you are told to be holy because the Lord is holy. You are told to be perfect because the Lord is perfect. You are told to present your bodies as a living sacrifice unto the Lord. And some Christians manage to do that maybe for an hour a week, possibly two hours a week. You may go to church Wednesday night. You may go to church Thursday night. You may have a Bible study. You may have a prayer service. But what happens before the prayer service? What happens before the Bible study? What happens after the prayer service or the Bible study? You're straight back home, the television goes on, you start surfing the net, or you start planning the next football match or the next ice hockey event, or you might go deep sea fishing. You're very much a part of the world, aren't you? And again, people might say somewhat piously, well, they're not saved, those people, they're just doing church. I'm not so sure. I think if the truth be known, if you are saved, you can be split right down the middle. I think it was McGee that said that when the rapture comes, Almighty God will have to just pluck people up by the roots because so many Christians are massively indebted and embedded, I should say, very much embedded into the world system. Look at verse 2. Ye shall utterly destroy all the places wherein the nations which ye shall possess served other gods upon the high mountains and upon the hills and under every green tree. And ye shall overthrow their altars and break their pillars and burn their groves with fire, and ye shall hewn down the graven images of their gods, and destroy the names of them out of that place. Could you imagine one of the Grahams getting up and ostracizing the papacy, papists? Can you imagine that? Of course you can't. Can you imagine anybody today in organized religion following this commandment? And this is a commandment. If you are into a placement theology, you believe that the church has replaced Israel And you're very happy to take the blessings, but you won't take the curses, will you? But here's the thing. If you are post-millennial, like Billy Graham was, if you are amillennial, like most Calvinists are, then you are very much, whether you like it or not, still under the Old Testament. And therefore, why aren't you observing verse 2? Why don't you destroy all the places? Why don't you overthrow their altars? Verse 3. Break down their pillars, verse 3. Burn their groves with fire, verse 3. Of course, you've never done this. You would never think about doing this, would you? Why don't you cut down their graven images, statues of their gods, their saints, Mary, and destroy the names of them out of that place? You wouldn't dare, of course. You're too busy rubbing along with the world. Go to chapter 27. Now, this will turn your blood cold. Deuteronomy 27. Deuteronomy 27. And Deuteronomy 27 is Jehovah speaking to the Jews. Not Pharaoh. Not Herod. Not Pilate. Not some atheist, not some agnostic. 27.1. And Moses, with the elders of Israel, commanded the people, saying, Keep all the commandments which I command you this day. So the Jews were told this. Number one, I will save you. I will take you out of Egypt. That was the easy part, of course. You'll have to leave, uh, you'll have to leave Egypt, which nearly two million would do. But after you do that, you are now locked into A legal contract. It's like if you live in the UK, if you have broadband or satellite television, 
or a phone line, the chances are you have signed up for an 18-month contract. And if you break that contract, you'll be penalised. I remember a friend of ours, a brother of all people, he told me this. He said, I've just signed up with a particular ISP provider and uh, he won't, I won't name them. And he said to me this, he said, it's an 18-month contract. I'm paying X amounts every month. And he told me the speed of the broadband and all of the perks and the package that he had. Very impressive. And after three months, he got bored with this ISP, Internet Service Provider. And he said to me, I broke the contract. And I said to him, well, what happened? He said, well, they keep coming around my house, knocking on my door, which, of course, they will do. Uh, I've had letters to the post. And they are threatening legal action. They are threatening uh, a county court judgment, a CCJ, as it's called in the UK. And they are threatening to pretty much sue me because I've entered into an 18-month contract. I have broken it and they want their money back. And that thing went on for several months. And he went into his bank and he cancelled the direct debit, the standing order, so that uh, money wouldn't leave his account. He was out of order. He entered into an agreement. He changed his mind. He thought he could walk away from it, and he couldn't. And that crowd hounded him for several months. I don't know what uh, became of that. But here you've got Jehovah entering into a covenant voluntarily. Or the Jews, I should say, are going to enter into a covenant with Jehovah voluntarily. They won't be forced into this covenant. Look at verse uh, 9. And Moses and the priests, the Levites, spake unto all Israel, saying... Take heed and hearken, O Israel, this day thou art become the people of the Lord thy God. You are now royalty, and of course, as a son or daughter of the king, there are consequences during the life of King James. He had a son called Charles, and of course, King Charles I was a traitor who came up against uh, Cromwell. But towards the end of James's life, Charles I was very much the blue-eyed boy, a bit like uh, Prince William is preferred over Prince Charles in the UK. A lot of people, a lot of royalists would like uh, William to replace the Queen upon death. She won't, uh, he won't, of course. There, there is a, a protocol system in the UK. When she dies, Charles is going to replace her. And then it will be William. But in the UK, people were hoping privately that James would either retire or abdicate. He was somewhat of an embarrassment towards the end of his reign. He started off very well, but uh, he's somewhat burnt out. He went off the boil, and people were hoping that Charles would step up and replace him. And of course he did, once his father had died. But the point was this, as the son of the king, there was a lot of responsibility on the shoulders of Charles. A lot of people were hoping that great things uh, would come via uh, King Charles I. And when he became king, such disappointments, such disappointments, a failure of a king. And I think it will be the same when Charles replaces Queen Elizabeth II. 10. Thou shalt therefore obey the voice of the Lord thy God, and do his commandments and his statutes, which I command thee this day. So once again... It's works, and it's works, and it's works, and it's works. And you better do these works. You can't back out. Once you entered into an agreement with Jehovah, once you sign uh, a contract, or once you enter into an agreement with an ISP provider, you are locked into it, whether you like it or not. Look at verse 14. And the Levites shall speak and say unto all men, unto all the men of Israel with a loud voice, Cursed be the man that maketh any graven or molten image an abomination unto the Lord, the work of the hands of the craftsmen, and putteth it in a secret place. And all the people shall say, Amen. Excuse me, and all the people shall answer and say, Amen. Like we all agree to this, Lord. Not like, well, we're going to pick and choose which parts of this we like. 18. Cursed be he that maketh the blind to wander out of the way. And all the people shall say, Amen. 21. Cursed be he that lieth with any manner of beast, and all the people shall say Amen. They are agreeing to this, they are signing up to this, there isn't a sort of pick and mix going on. They are very much locked into such a contract. 22. Cursed be he that lieth with his sister, the daughter of his father, or the daughter of his mother, 
and all the people shall say Amen. Now, of course, Muhammad would do this. Joseph Smith would do this. And as a result of doing this, as a result of breaking this part of the Old Testament, they would disqualify themselves. Look at verse 26. Cursed be he that confirmeth not all the words of this law to do them. And all the people shall say Amen. So you still think you keep the covenant, do you? You still think you are holy and sanctified all of the time? Are you enforcing this in your church? If you are in a holiness church, if you are in a Calvinist church, if you are in a church which believes in uh, replacement theology, you don't believe in dispensationalism, do you? You're still very much following the Old Testament. 28.1 And it shall come to pass, if thou shalt hearken diligently unto the voice of the Lord thy God, to observe and to do all his commandments which I command, command thee this day, that the Lord thy God will set thee on high above all nations of the earth, and all these blessings shall come on thee and overtake thee, if thou shalt hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God. So that's similar to the thousand-year reign of the Lord Jesus Christ, like if you live for the Lord, if you deny yourself for the Lord, if you remain sanctified, you are going to receive blessings and rewards during the thousand-year reign of the Lord Jesus Christ. But if you don't, if you live after the flesh, you will forfeit your place in the millennial kingdom. Jump down to verse 6. Blessed shalt thou be when thou comest in, and blessed shalt thou be when thou goest out. The Lord shall cause thine enemies that rise up against thee to be smitten before thy face. They shall come out against thee one way and flee before thee seven ways. Completely victorious. Nothing, no one will ever come against you. And again, this is aimed at the Jews, not the church. Uh, Verse 12, please. The Lord shall open unto thee his good treasure, the heaven to give the rain unto thy land in his season and to bless all the work of thine hand. And thou shalt lend unto many nations, and thou shalt not borrow. And the Lord shall make thee the head and not the tail. And thou shalt be above only, and thou shalt not be beneath. If that thou hearken unto the commandments of the Lord thy God, which I command thee this day, to observe and to do them, and thou shalt not go aside from any of the words which I command thee this day, to the right hand or to the left, to go after other gods, to serve them. You still think? You keep in the Old Testament, you still think you're pretty holy, you still think you are a decent, upright person. Are you following such commandments? Look at verse 15. But it shall come to pass, if thou wilt not hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God, to observe to do all his commandments and his statutes, which I command thee this day, that all these curses shall come upon thee and overtake thee. Cursed shalt thou be in the city, and cursed shalt thou be in the field. Cursed shall be thy basket and thy store. Cursed shall be the fruit of thy body and the fruit of thy land, the increase of thy kine and the flocks of thy sheep. Cursed shalt thou be when thou comest in, and cursed shalt thou be when thou goest out. The Lord shall send upon thee cursing, vexation, and rebuke in all that thou settest thine hand unto for to do, until thou be destroyed, and until thou perish quickly because of the wickedness of thy doings, whereby thou hast forsaken me. So once again, this is Jehovah speaking to the Jews, his people. Now, if he would do this to his own people, what would he do to his enemies? 22. The Lord shall smite thee with a consumption and with a fever and with an inflammation and with an extreme burning and with a sword and with blasting and with mildew and they shall pursue thee until thou perish. And if you Look at history, you know what would await the Jews that rejected their Messiah and are still very much suffering as a result. 26. And thy carcass shall be meat unto all fowls of the earth and unto the beasts of the earth, and no man shall fray them away. The Lord will smite thee with the botch of Egypt and with the emeralds and with the scab and with the itch, whereof thou canst not be healed. The Lord shall smite thee with madness and blindness and astonishment of heart. And thou shalt grope at noonday as a blind gropeth in darkness, and thou shalt not prosper in thy ways, and thou shalt be only oppressed and spoiled evermore, and no man shall save thee. Now just keep this in mind if you will. For over 400 years the Jews have been living in Egypt, type of the world. It's been pretty rough for them. And the Lord says, hey, 
I am prepared to rescue you. I am prepared to bring you out from such a place. There's been many gods. Pharaoh has been a pretty wicked tyrant. And most of the Jews say, yes, please, Lord, get us out of this mess. And he does just that. He doesn't break his word, but he makes it very clear time after time to the Jews that for them to come out, they would have to follow him and stay close to him. And that's not as easy as you would think. 58. If thou wilt not observe to do all the words of this law that are written in this book, that thou mayest fear the glorious and fearful name, the Lord thy God, then the Lord will make thy plagues wonderful and the plagues of thy seed, even great plagues and of long continuance and sore sicknesses and of long continuance. Moreover, he will bring upon thee all the diseases of Egypt, which thou wast afraid of, and it shall cleave unto thee. Also every sickness and every plague which is not written in the book of this law, then will the Lord bring upon thee until thou be destroyed. And ye shall be left few in number, whereas you were as the stars of heaven for multitude, because thou wouldest not obey the voice of the Lord thy God. And it shall come to pass that as the Lord rejoiced over you to do you good and to multiply you, so the Lord will rejoice over you to destroy you and to bring you to naught. And ye shall be plucked from off the land, whither thou goest to possess it. And the Lord shall scatter thee among all people, from the one end of the earth even unto the other. And there thou shalt serve other gods, which neither thou nor thy fathers have known, even wood and stone. And among these nations shalt thou find no ease, neither shall the sore of thy foot have rest. But the Lord shall give thee there a trembling heart, and fading of eyes, and sorrow of mind. And thy life shall hang in doubt before thee, and thou shalt fear day and night, and shalt have none assurance of thy life. In the morning thou shalt say, Would God it were evening, and even thou shalt say, Would God it were morning, for the fear of thine heart, wherewith thou shalt fear, and for the sight of thine eyes, which thou shalt see. And the Lord shall bring thee into Egypt again with ships, by the way whereof I spake unto thee. Thou shalt sit no more again, and there ye shall be sold unto your enemies for bondmen, and bondwomen, and no man shall buy you. Go back to Exodus chapter 5. So, a deviation. This is what the Jews would be entering into. Never mind signing up for your internet package and violating the contract like my old friend did and suffering the consequences. This is far more severe. And this is why when the Jews came up against Jesus, number one, they didn't really believe on him. Because they had been cursed by Jehovah for violating the spirit and letter of the Old Testament. They could not see. They could not hear. Going back to what Isaiah and Ezekiel would prophesy. Verse 3 again and I'll close. And they said concerning Moses and Aaron in the presence of Pharaoh. The God of the Hebrews hath met with us. Jehovah has met with us. Let us go we pray thee. Three days journey into the desert. After three days Christ was raised from the dead. And sacrifice unto the Lord our God. For today we present our bodies as a living sacrifice. And every Sunday we break bread like we would do shortly. Lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. I gave you a good batch of verses to show you what that would mean. And they thought to themselves this would put the wind up Pharaoh. They thought to themselves, surely he will let us go. They had no idea that this battle of the clashes, a couple of heavyweights entering into the, into the ring, like Mike Tyson or Rocky Balboa, for example, would really run its course. They had no idea that this would run two, three, four, five chapters. And like I say, when Moses first met Pharaoh, he was economical with the message. He watered down the message. He was fearful. He didn't know how this was going to go. He knew that Pharaoh could have detained him, uh, put him on trial like a kangaroo court, like the Soviets would do back in the 40s, the 50s and the 60s. Televise such a kangaroo court, put it all on television throughout Russia. And people watch that and think we're so thankful to have our beloved leaders protecting us from these wicked Westerners, capitalists, not realizing that their own leaders were wicked capitalists living like gods and kings. In fact, we now know that uh, Joseph Stalin had his own uh, projectionist. And old Joseph Stalin, every night, would like to watch a movie or two. It could be the Marx Brothers. It could be Lauren Hardy. It could be the Three Stooges. And his own private projectionist was called upon to arrive at the Kremlin, put on a show for Uncle Joe. 
And yet he was turning around, telling his own people that the bogeyman, the boogeyman, those in the West were seeking to corrupt Mother Church, Mother Russia, and yet old Stalin was watching the flicks every single night. This is the hypocrisy of the whole thing. But 5-1, are stage one, or will be stage one. Part one to the clash of two personalities. And look at it this way. If you think of Moses, you think of Pharaoh. Or you think of Pharaoh, you think of Moses. If you think of JFK, you think of Oswald. If you think of uh, Clinton, you think of Lewinsky. If you think of any particular person, you think of someone else. They go in twos. Lee Harvey Oswald, John F. Kennedy, Moses, Pharaoh, Bill Clinton, Monica Lewinsky. They are locked together, whether they like it or not, for all of eternity in many ways. And here Moses and Aaron are going to come up against Pharaoh. And I've already gone over time, so we'll hold it there and continue next week. God willing, from Exodus chapter 5, verse 4. So last Sunday, we were able to slightly deviate and take a look at the blessings and cursings and a couple of verses I omitted to uh, share with you all please just jump over to Exodus chapter 19 Exodus chapter 19 and look at verse 7 please and Moses came and called for the elders of the people and laid before their faces all these words which the Lord commanded him concerning the ten commandments concerning the Mosaic law which some Jews believe it or not believe they are keeping today And when I say Jews, I'm speaking about rabbinical Jews. You won't find many uh, Old Testament uh, Jews today. Most Jews mix uh, mix, uh, rabbinical teachings with teachings and practices today. And they become somewhat ecumenical. They dilute the Old Testament. Look at verse 8. Fascinating. And all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord hath spoken, we will do. And Moses returned the words of the people unto the Lord. Fascinating. They actually believed that, number one, they could keep the law like they would enforce the Mosaic law. They would police themselves. And they thought it was possible to keep all 616 commandments. And yet, like I said over the years, not only am I concerned about what I have done, but I'm also concerned about what I haven't done. All that the Lord hath spoken, we will do. Well, good luck trying that. Good luck trying to keep the Old Testament to the Spirit, to the letter. And good luck trying to keep the New Covenant to the letter and to the Spirit. And Moses returned the words of the people unto the Lord. In other words, he relayed back to the Lord what the people of Israel had told him. So go back to Exodus chapter 5, please. And this will be week number 10. And last week we were able to cover the first three verses concerning Moses and Aaron speaking to Pharaoh, being somewhat economical with the message, not telling Pharaoh, like, if you don't let my people go, Almighty God will slay your firstborn son. And unfortunately, many people in the church today will omit the full counsel of the Lord. They will pick and choose what they preach. They may say, you can go to heaven without believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. And of course, that is wrong. They may overemphasize holiness and omit grace, and that is also wrong. It does seem to me that most uh, preachers today will fall into one of those two camps, either overly liberal or overly legalistic. Look at verse uh, 4, please. And the king of Egypt said unto them, Wherefore do ye, Moses and Aaron, let the people from their works get you unto your burdens? In other words, who do you think you are? You're breezing into my royal court and you are telling me, you are commanding me in the name of the Lord. And based on uh, verse 2 and 3, Pharaoh doesn't even know who the Lord is. Of course, he knew exactly who the Lord was. He just hadn't seen the power of the Lord. But here, Pharaoh is infuriated. He's also somewhat shocked that a couple of Jewish uh, past slaves would have the audacity to speak to him face to face and make it very clear what was required of them. But I like the latter parts of verse 4. Get you, like Aaron and Moses, unto your burdens. Now Moses has been gone for some 40 years, and here the third and final Pharaoh is making the statement, 
very interestingly, that he wants Moses and co. to return to being slaves. Something which, of course, was an insult. Look at verse 5. And Pharaoh said, Behold, the people of the land now are many, and you make them rest from their burdens. In other words, there are around 2 million Jewish people working day and night, like seven days a week. They have quadrupled. They are building treasure cities for Pharaoh's elite. And you think that, number one, I will let them go. And before I let them go, I will allow them to rest from their burdens. We have an agenda. We have a quota to live up to. Six. And Pharaoh commanded the same day the taskmasters of the people and their officers saying, You shall no more give the people straw to make brick as heretofore. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. Heretofore, Old English for beforehand or up until now. He wants to really uh, tighten the screws on them, if you will. It was bad enough that these Jewish people for 400 plus years were slaving themselves to death, serving this pagan ruler who worshipped many gods, including himself. And here he wants to really make their life an absolute misery. Look at verse 8, please. And the tale of the bricks which they did make heretofore, ye shall lay upon them. Ye shall not diminish aught thereof. For they be idle, therefore they cry, saying, Let us go and sacrifice to our God. The word here for tale is Old English for like the number of, or like a counter, a teller counter. You go into the bank, the counter is there to count your money in here. The term tale simply means number. And the tale of the bricks, verse 8, and the number of the bricks which they did make heretofore, like up until now, you shall lay upon them. You shall not diminish aught thereof. You won't slack, for they be idle. Therefore they cry, saying, Let us go and sacrifice to our God. So he is repeating what Moses has said has said to him. He wants to relay it back in the presence of those that are in his court. And this is a fascinating dialogue. It's fascinating because, number one, Moses has come from royalty. Like I said, over the last several weeks, he was lined up to be a future pharaoh, and he would turn his back on that. The book of Hebrews says he chose to suffer with the people. He wanted to be uh, in the camp of the Israelites. He didn't want to enjoy the pleasures of the world. And the Lord Jesus Christ would say, what would it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Look at verse 9, please. Let their more work be laid upon the men that they may labor therein, and let them not regard vain words. Keep your hand there and go to First Timothy. And I thought a couple of weeks ago when I sat down to prepare for this two-year study that the term vain words is very reminiscent from what Paul would tell you from First Timothy chapter 6. First Timothy uh, chapter 6, look at verse 20, please. O Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust, Avoiding profane and vain babblings, and oppositions of science falsely so-called, which some professing have erred concern the faith. Grace be with thee. Amen. So here Paul is speaking against vain words, vain philosophy, oppositions of science falsely so-called, like the evolution religion, which is everywhere today. Go back to Exodus chapter 5, but when Pharaoh speaks about vain words. He is approaching this from the subject or the aspects of what Moses is speaking about. In other words, he is trying to reverse inspiration, which is something that most people today are very keen to do. If you go online, if you look up atheists or agnostics or ex-Christians, you will find many, many of them online, not only speaking about their newfound truth, quote-unquote, but writing and producing DVDs and speaking at seminars around the world. And they are fascinated with their new, found, their new uh, belief, their new truth, quote-unquote. And they are making a lot of money. Now they are free, if you will, from the shackles of so-called religion. But here you've got two things. You've got vain words coming from the mouth of an unsaved man. Contrast that to vain words coming from the mouth of a saved man. Paul, of course, is speaking from the standpoint of a saved apostle writing to the Gentiles, whereas Pharaoh is speaking from the standpoints of an unsaved man, trying to come against the words from Moses and Aaron. 10. 
And the taskmasters of the people went out, and their officers, and they spake to the people, saying, Thus saith Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. So straw will help bind the clay together. And therefore, to take the straw away, it's going to make their lives an absolute misery. If you think of trying to build a house without power tools, you're going to struggle. Or if you break down and you try and uh, change a tire without the right tools, you won't do it. And this is what is going on here. 12. So the people were scattered abroad throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble instead of straw. Now, had Moses, first of all, told the entire truth to Pharaoh, he could have avoided some of this. This chapter will almost end on the brink of mutiny. But thankfully, Almighty God is one step ahead of Moses. And that's where Romans 8.28 comes into play. 13. And the taskmasters hasted them, saying, Fulfill your works, your daily tasks, as when there was straw. In other words, just because you haven't got straw any longer, just because we're not going to help you out like we once did, we still expect you to live up to your quota. It's like if you lose an arm or a leg and you phone up your boss or you've been diagnosed with some serious illness or something serious has happened to you and the boss says, yep, 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 but I want you back at your desk at nine o'clock tomorrow. You're going to struggle, aren't you? You've just buried your daughter. You've just buried your son. There's been a catastrophe in the family. And the boss says, yeah, yeah, yeah. But get back to work. Nine o'clock Monday morning. This is what is going on here. 14. And the officers of the children of Israel, which Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and demanded, wherefore have you not fulfilled your task in making brick both yesterday and today and heretofore? Now they're getting physical. They're getting violent. The pressure hasn't uh, let up. They are, on the one hand, infuriated that there was a break about to take place, a great jailbreak, if you will, the greatest exodus up until now in the history of the world. And on top of that, there's a sense of denial. For 400 plus years, Pharaoh has been a god. Uh, if you think of the statement that one of the popes made, I think it was Pope Pius X or the Eleventh, he said, I am God. I am Jesus Christ on the earth. And not one Catholic rebuked him for that. And although they've somewhat watered down that statement over the last 100 years, they still believe it. They still believe that when the Pope speaks from the chair of Peter, the throne of Peter, that he is somewhat infallible and Catholics are supposed to pay homage to him. Uh, But the truth of the matter is this, that most Catholics don't actually believe most of what they are taught. Uh, just for the record, birth control is still out. Officially, birth control in a Catholic church is a sin. That's the official line. Unofficially, most Catholic families practice birth control. If you don't believe me, just go into a typical Catholic church on any given Sunday and count the uh, number of children sitting with their parents. But here, the pressure is continuing to build. Pharaoh, number one, wants to reverse what he has heard like Herod would want to reverse what the wise men would tell him. Number two, he wants to break their resolve. He wants to cause a mutiny, and he will almost succeed in doing that. 15. Then the officers of the children of Israel came and cried unto Pharaoh, saying, Wherefore dealest thou thus with thy servants? In other words, this is now fault, your honor. We didn't send Moses and Aaron to speak on our behalfs. It could also be that there were many people that were quite content serving under Pharaoh's command. 1989, 1990, 1991, the uh, Soviet Union came to an end, and uh, uh, Boris uh, Yeltsin was the new Russian leader. And I can still remember the news footage being beamed around the world of Yeltsin on that tank in Moscow, trying to uh, take control But what was also reported around that time were how there were some people that were sad to see the end of the Soviet Union. And there were some people that were saying, well, although we've now got freedom and we're no longer under the yoke of godless communism, at least we had food back in the day. You see, for the first two, three, four, five years at the end of the uh, fall of the Soviet uh, empire, people were struggling. Food was uh, being rationed. 
It wasn't particularly easy. There was a sense of chaos. If you collapse any system, look at uh, Iraq when uh, Saddam was booted out of office and the Allies uh, took control of Iraq. 2003, 2004, 2005, 2006, they collapsed the entire army. Pornography was flooding in, which you couldn't get hold of beforehand. People were saying, what's going on here? We've gone from uh, one extreme to another. And therefore, I think what you've got here is a sense of, we don't actually want Moses Narin to free us. Also, some of these uh, leaders, referred to as the children of Israel, verse 15, were in positions of authority. If you look at World War II, there were uh, certain Jewish people who had the uh, task of liaising very closely with the Third Reich. Uh, They were responsible for burying uh, their own people. And they were responsible for taking the jewellery out of the teeth of Jewish people. And after the war, there were recriminations. A lot of Jews thought they were traitors. And of course they were. They were working very closely in death camps all over Europe. In fact, in France, at the end of the war, if you were a woman who had been having relations uh, with German officers, you had your hair shaved off. You were made to uh, be humiliated for sleeping with the enemy, if you will. So I think it's very fair to say that you've got two groups of Israelites here. You've got the first group that are going to come out rejoicing and will align themselves very closely to Moses Narin, but you're going to have another crowd coming out, a mixed multitude. If you think of the Ten Commandments, and I've already spoken about this movie a few times over the last ten weeks, there's a character in the Ten Commandments, a guy called Edward G. Robinson, a very well-known American actor. He was actually Jewish in real life, and he plays a very interesting character in the Ten Commandments, He's a troublemaker, and although it's strictly speak, although strictly speaking, it's artistic liberty, artistic license, he represents the unbelieving remnants that come out of Egypt, and he would cause problems to Moses in the movie. And I think what you're reading about here is the build-up to the potential mutiny. Sixteen, there is no straw given unto thy servants, and they say to us, make brick. And behold, thy servants are beaten, but the fault is in thine own people. Well, of course, it wasn't their fault. It wasn't their fault that Pharaoh had decided to take straw away from them, decided to become more violent, and on top of that, ordered the increase in the building, the creation of the treasure cities. 17. But he said, ye are idle, ye are idle, therefore ye say... Let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. You are idle. You say you want to go and sacrifice to the Lord. And here Pharaoh is repeating the words coming from the mouths of Moses Narin in the presence of the Jewish leaders. He wants to cause a mutiny. He wants to cause these men to rise up and boot Moses Narin out. This is also a picture of the great white throne judgment. When almighty God judges unsaved people. And he will use their words against them. And that's what is going on in the Gospels, if you ever wondered. Time after time, Jesus Christ would speak to the Pharisees. And there'd be many dialogues back and forth. And those conversations are recorded in the four Gospels. And most of the time, those conversations are recorded to show you what the great white throne judgment is going to be all about. Jesus Christ will judge the world. And when the Lord Jesus Christ judges the world... Every word, thought, and deed that an unsaved person ever thought, uttered, will be relayed in the presence of the Lord and the holy angels. Something similar will also take place at the judgment seats of the Lord to those of us which are saved, to those of us which sin and don't confess our sins. Going back to what I said at the beginning of this live broadcast, that I'm not only concerned about what I have done, but I'm also concerned about what I haven't done. Going back to certain Jewish people today and also uh, Messianic people today, saved Jews today, trying to keep the law like the Sabbath, the feast days, the Passover, the Sabbats as they call it, and picking and choosing which parts of the Old Testament they want to follow and omitting the parts that they don't want to follow. That's not how this works. 
If you are a rejecter of the Lord Jesus Christ, if you are a resurrection denier, you can't go back to the Old Testament and follow it from Genesis to Malachi and leave out large sections like capital punishment. And yet I can't think of any Jew anywhere in the world today that follows the Old Testament to the letter and enforces capital punishment. They pick and choose, of course. 18. Go therefore now and work, for there shall no straw be given you, yet shall you deliver the tale of bricks. I'm going to make your life a living misery. I'm going to continue to take the straw away from you. You will work 12 hours a day, seven days a week. I want to break your resolve. And it's fair to say, if you think of Acts chapter 12, I think it is, when the Jews, uh, believing Jews, were being persecuted, and uh, one of the Roman uh, leaders, I think it was Claudius from memory, forced the Jews, the believing Jews, uh, out of Israel and around the Roman Empire. That caused such people to preach the gospel. Because if you're cruising along, if life is pretty good for you, if you're not really struggling or suffering as a believer, then you become somewhat dry, somewhat complacent. And that's why sometimes, not always, but sometimes it's good to have a boots at the backside, like they say. It is helpful sometimes to have a bit of persecution, to somewhat suffer for the Saviour. And here the dialogue continues. And this also goes back to, like I say, the Lord seeing and hearing everything. The eyes of the Lord are over the earth, beholding the evil and the good. 19. And the officers of the children of Israel did see that they were in evil case after it was said, You shall not minish aught from your bricks of your daily task. So you've got several things going on here. Like I say, you've got Moses narrowing the generals of Israel leading from the front, not getting off to the best start. You've got the children of Israel, the leaders, the captains or lieutenants if you will over the people this will feed into also what you read later on in scripture like leaders over hundreds leaders over tens and leaders over thousands 20 and they met Moses and Aaron who stood in the way as they came forth from Pharaoh and they said unto them the Lord look upon you and judge because ye have made our savor to be abhorred in the eyes of Pharaoh and in the eyes of his servants to put a sword in the hand to slay us. We never asked you guys to speak on our behalf. We never asked you guys to go into Pharaoh and speak on our behalf. Some of us have got a good thing going here, like Caiaphas, like the Jewish leaders back in the time of the Lord Jesus Christ. They were property owners, landowners. Life was pretty good to them and for them. And then one day this guy breezes in and he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That was the last thing they wanted to hear. Going back to World War II, there were Jewish people in Jewish death camps that were making money, working very closely with the Third Reich. And those people did so because it was beneficial to them. They could join the Jews or they could rule over the Jews. And like I say, there were serious recriminations after the war. And here you've got a group of Jewish leaders angry that Moses and Aaron are doing what they are doing. On top of that, Moses and Aaron are no longer servants. They are free, if you will, and yet they are speaking on behalf of the workers. It's a bit like a, a union, if you will, if you think of a union. You've got the people who run the union, many times on a six-figure salary, and people that they are so-called speaking for or acting on their behalf are working 40, 50 hours a week on minimum wage, many times in dead-end jobs, and yet they are paying subs every month to union bosses who live very comfortably. Six-figure salaries, many times they get very comfortable perks, and these leaders will call for strikes. Not so much now, but back in the 1970s and 80s, and back in the day when those leaders uh, called for a strike, you had to go out, you had to strike. And if you broke the strike, uh, you were called a scab. And many families would uh, break up over this. In fact, if you go back to the 1980s, there was a guy called uh, Arthur Scargill, and he was a very popular flamboyant uh, character. And we met him some years ago, a very uh, interesting speaker. And at the height of Scargill's uh, power, he was a very influential character. He was head of the uh, miners 
in the UK. And when he called for a strike, there was a strike. And many families, like I say, would find themselves split right down the middle. Went on for a year, and if you think of the Scottish referendum two, three years ago, Scotland voted right down the middle. And some of those families are still split today. Fathers no longer speak to uh, sons. Sons no longer speak to mothers. I mean, two, three, four years ago. If you go to Scotland and speak to people that voted in the last referendum, the divisions are still there. Look at Brexit. Just a couple of years ago, the UK voted right down the middle. And those divisions are still evident to be seen today. And here you've got this clash of wills. You've got a handful of very powerful Jewish leaders wanting to push back what Moses and Aaron are trying to do on their behalf. They will eventually leave Egypt, of course, and they will be part of the mixed multitude, going back to the Edward G. Robinson part. And they will cause problems. Every church uh, will have unsaved people in their pews. And that's why Paul would tell you that the enemy will come from within, not without, going back to churches today, either preaching a heretical uh, libertarian message or an heretical legalistic message. 22. And Moses returned unto the Lord and said, Lord, wherefore hast thou so evil entreated this people? Why is it that thou hast sent me? Now Moses is a bit like John the Baptist. He would say over in uh, Matthew chapter 11, are you the Messiah, Jesus? Are you the one that we should be looking for or should we be looking for another? Like, where is the thousand year reign? Why am I in jail? Why is Herod and Pilate still calling the shots? Why haven't you brought in the Davidic rule? And that would be picked up over in Acts chapter 1. And the Lord would say to the apostles in Acts chapter 1 that it wasn't for them to know the times or the seasons, he would tell you from Matthew 24 that only the Father knows his at moments of the return of Christ, not the rapture. And here Moses is having a conference with the Lord. Wherefore hast thou so evil entreated this people? Why are you putting your people through this, Lord? Why are you prolonging their pain and agony? And he could say quite easily, well, because they are kicking against it. They are arguing uh, with me. And on top of that, Moses, you didn't tell Pharaoh the whole story. Why is it that thou hast sent me? So Moses thought this. He thought, well, I should be able to breeze in, speak to Pharaoh, man to man. Pharaoh knows who I am. I know who Pharaoh is. And when I say that Jehovah has sent me, he will quake in his boots. If you think of that account from the uh, the Acts of the Apostles, where Paul spoke to, I think it was uh, King Agrippa from memory, and he spoke about holiness, temperance, and judgment to come. And it speaks about uh, Agrippa, uh, fearful, knees knocking together, shaking. And that's where you get the expression, he put the fear of God into him. And here Moses is expecting something to happen very easily, very quickly. He had no idea that this will run for another four or five chapters. 23. For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in thy name, he hath done evil to this people. Neither hast thou delivered thy people at all. It is interesting. It is very interesting to me when I think of this conversation. It's also interesting to me when I think of the naivety from Moses, the man. He wasn't a child. He was around 80. He was a married man with children. He knew how the world works. And yet he is speaking to the Lord like a child. And there's nothing wrong with that, of course. The word of God says, if you don't humble yourself like a little child, you won't inherit the kingdom of heaven. Nothing wrong with that, of course. But here Moses is somewhat at a step with the Lord. He expected something to happen very quickly. He actually believed that he could just breeze into Pharaoh's court, make his statements. Pharaoh would capitulate, order the release of two million Jews, and it would just happen like that. No way. The Lord is going to break Pharaoh. He will destroy Egypt. And he will also start to prepare the great exodus, the great departure, which is a picture of the, the, uh, the Christian. It's a picture of the church. Before you got saved, if you are saved, the Lord broke you down. He brought you to a stage in your life where you couldn't go on any longer. And when that took place, you were broken 
and you turned to him in faith, you reached out to him, and he saved you, and he keeps you saved. That's the grace of God, of course. That's the gospel of the grace of God. But that's just the beginning when it comes to your walk with the Lord. Many times people come to the Lord in a broken state, which is what repentance really is. They get saved, and they hit uh, difficult times, rocky periods in their life, and they start walking with the Lord. They just stop. They put the brakes on, and they start to become inactive. They start to become bitter. They start to become disgruntled. They start to become disillusioned. And that's a dangerous thing when a believer becomes like that. And you'll read about that three or four times in the book of Exodus alone. And when that uh, becomes a problem, when they refuse to walk with Moses like they would refuse to walk with Jesus, it says over in John 6, 6, 6, how many of his disciples walked no more with him. And that crowd went back to the law. And of course, once you go back to the law, you can't be saved. That's what Hebrews is all about. And I'll say this also. What is very uh, painful for myself when I uh, come across so-called Christians that convert to Judaism is the awful reality that what they have done is not just reject the Lord Jesus Christ, who of course is the Lamb of God, but according to Hebrews, they have crucified the Son of God afresh. And as a result, they cannot be redeemed. Because they have completely thrown away the atonement. They've gone back under the Old Testament. And once you go back under the Old Testament, you are completely lost. And because you have gone back under the Old Testament, you are now bound to uh, keep the law. And if you don't keep the law, the blessings... And the curses are going to come your way. And yet, praise the Lord for those of us which are saved. Galatians chapter 3. Uh, Galatians chapter 3 verse 10. For as many as of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is every one that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. 13. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law. Being made a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is every one that hangeth on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. So, Christ has taken our curse, praise the Lord. Christ has redeemed us, praise the Lord. But if you turn him down and go back to the Old Testament and become a rabbinical Jew, like some Gentiles uh, would uh, consider themselves to be or some Jews would still believe themselves to be then okay fine you are now under the curse of the Old Testament you are under the curse of the Old Covenant and I'll give you one more scripture which I think is very uh, relevant from James and James also speaks about this and James uh, makes the case very clearly from James chapter 2 verse 10 for whosoever shall keep the whole law, and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. For he that said, Do not commit adultery, said also, Do not kill. Now thou commit no adultery, yet if thou kill, thou art become a transgressor of the law. And of course you know that hatred in your heart is murder. And of course you know that lust in your heart is also adultery. Whosoever shall keep the whole law, which incidentally is impossible, and yet offend in one point, like break one point, so the Old Testament, he is guilty of all. And you still think you can keep the law? You are kidding yourself. You are deceiving yourself. 